1: New year, new credit scores. Chime makes it easier to build credit using your own money and on-time payments with the secured Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card. Use it everywhere Visa credit cards are accepted. To apply, just open a Chime checking account with a qualifying direct deposit. There's no annual fee or credit check required when applying. Get started at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA. Members FDIC. Late payment may negatively impact your credit score. Results may vary hey hey welcome back everybody episode 43 of the announcer schedules podcast i'm your host mike gill phil demont Mollen is back of course the face the voice that you hear behind the twitter handle announcer skeds that's uh obviously many of you who follow get all the announcer info updates the schedules from phil here we are episode 43 we got a good show for you today this week on the pod don't forget like rate review subscribe to the podcast leave us a note leave us a review rate the show let us know how we're doing we got a good show today and we have a couple standalones this week so make sure you check back on this last word on sports feed for the announcer schedules first We're going to be talking with ESPN play-by-player Mike Monaco. He's got some hockey this weekend, but a versatile play-by-player. We're going to tell you his story, and he's going to be a part of ESPN's coverage of the Golden Knights and Dallas Stars uh, this Saturday. He'll have the call for there as the NHL is coming down the stretch. You've also heard Mike do a variety of sports and events on ESPN. So we'll have his story coming up. We're also going to be talking – Uh, This week on the feed with Sean McDonough, who is also a part of the NHL on ESPN. He's going to have the Devils and Bruins. He had the Masters. We know Sean had Monday Night Football, college sports, uh, World Series. He is one of the big names in the broadcasting world. And a standalone interview uh, known very well in the Philadelphia region is former Sixer voice Mark Zumoff. And he's got a new venture that he's going to tell us about, but what great stories he's going to have. So that's all going to be here on the announcer schedules podcast feed. Phil, we have so much going on.
2: Yeah, what a, what a time of year. It's outstanding that we're going to have all these great conversations coming up with the announcers you just described. And, yeah, can't wait to to get going with it. And, boy, do we have a lot to cover at the same time between the Final Four coming down the stretch and, and wrapping up Jim Nance. Yeah, the Major League baseballs, cooking, NBA, NHL. Uh, the women's final four, you name it.
1: Yeah, we do. So let's jump right into the final four. Jim Lance, uh, Jim Nance, excuse me, as you mentioned, uh, he had his final sign-off for the final four. Let's take a listen to Jim Nance one final time before one shining moment. One thing I learned through all of this
0: is everybody has a dream and everybody has a story to tell. Just try to find that story. Kind. You told it better than most, let me tell you. Can I tell you one other thing? I mean this, not to try to play off hello, friends, but to you, everybody in the college game, on CBS family, my family, all the viewers, thank you for being my friend.
1: When all you- right, that was Jim Nance. Thank you for being my friend. His final send off there for the NCAA tournament. Now we will hear Jim. Today, this week, I should say, this weekend for the Masters, he will be back for NFL football. But that was his final call on uh, college basketball. So the send off from Jim Nance.
2: Yeah, I mean, and it's worth considering just how deep this legacy goes. 32 national championship games as the lead play-by-play voice. Even more than that, when you add up his time before that, when, when Musburger was still doing it and he was the, the studio host 96 is the grand total of final four games, 354 total NCAA tournament games. The numbers are are kind of mind boggling. And yeah, you know, I thought it was the, the appropriate amount of, you know, Nance coverage and love by the CBS broadcast and, and that kind of thing. And that was a really sweet sign off of his. Thank you for being my friend. Yeah, that, that was, that was, Touching, you know, I I kind of felt touched a little bit. I mean, I grew up in many ways with with Nance, you know, bringing me the action of so many, you know, sporting events and especially March Madness over the years. And so I thought it was it was really well done on on Monday night. You know, um, you know, Bill Raftery and Grant Hill hamming it up with them as well. But yeah, what a legacy as far as this this NCA tournament run for for Jim Nance but like you said you know he, he'll he keep going he he plans to go for a long time in fact with both Masters and the NFL
1: yeah now Jim Nance obviously I think is more synonymous with even though the 32-year run is unprecedented I don't think anybody will do that again Ian Eagle is the successor he's certainly not going to give you 32 years I would imagine on NCAA uh, tournament basketball but 32 years it's unbelievable to think that 1986 uh, is when he made his first call. And that was Jim Nance, Bill Rafferty, March 15th, 1986. A 26 year old Jim Nance on the call.
0: Here's a record summary of the two teams Duke, of course, the number one seed of the East Region. A winner on Thursday against Mississippi Valley State, but they had to struggle to win that one. 17-game winning streak for the Blue Devils and a very impressive 18-2 mark against teams in the tournament. On the other side of Ledger, Old Dominion was the eighth seed coming into this.
1: So there's Jim Nance, Bill Rafferty, age 26. It's his first game, Duke-Old Dominion in the NCAA second round at the Greensboro-North Carolina Coliseum. And then, of course, uh, that pairing was back again for his final one. So what a run there. But, Phil... Is he more synonymous with the NCAA, the
2: Masters, or as the number one play-by-player on the NFL? I would rank him as the following: number one, Masters; number two, NCAA March Madness; number three, NFL. Is, that, is how I, you know, kind of put it as far as what he's synonymous with and that kind of thing. I love that that Duke Old Dominion uh, throwback, March fifteenth, nineteen eighty six. Like he said, Bill Raftery is his his uh, partner in that, you know, and, and it kind of all comes full circle as far as, you know, him coming down the stretch and his, his final game with raft as well. It's kind of interesting, you know, that that's a long time ago, but in a lot of ways, Nance's voice doesn't sound all that different. um, Unless you, unless you think otherwise, Mike, but it seemed like to me, you know, um, obviously he had the chops from the very beginning, you know, he did his first masters, you know, that, that same year at age 26 and here we go, you know, um, he'll continue doing the Masters this weekend beyond. But to answer your question, Masters is what I relate him to the most. Yeah,
1: I think so, too. I mean, I think Nance is a solid basketball play-by-player. I wouldn't say that's his best. I think he, to me, when I think Jim Nance first and foremost, I think Masters. I think and Eagle taking over. Uh, it will be very interesting to hear someone different do that tournament, but uh, it will be something uh, that I, I like Eagle in this role. I think Nance – uh, did a great job for the 32 years. It's amazing that he's really the only player-by-player that some people ever heard do that tournament. What an amazing run for him. And he says, thank you for being my friend. That's how uh, he closes things out. All right, let's go uh, to that coverage. Jim Nance, Bill Rafferty, Grant Hill, Tracy Wolfson, who I thought was attached at the hip with uh, Dan Hurley for much of that tournament. Uh, she had a lot of interviews there uh, on the court with him. In the studio, had Gumble Kellogg, Jay Wright. We talked about him at the beginning of college basketball season. I told you I thought he was going to be a star. Charles Barkley, Kenny Smith. This will be interesting. I thought Jay Wright was the star of this show uh, and the studio. A lot of uh mixed reviews because of the NBAers in the studio show here. Phil, what did you think of the studio and the coverage?
2: Yeah, a couple of things. One, I do want to mention Clark Kellogg. What was interesting about him is it in he's done this in past years as well. He was also on the Westwood One call as the game analyst, so he would you know hustle back and forth from from the set of the the CBS studio to to his courtside location to call the game um, with Kevin Kugler and company on Westwood One. I agree, Jay Wright. I thought was the was the most dynamic and, and kind of the the um, highlight of that that studio show. You know, they used Jay Wright in the studio throughout the tournament up until this, you know, the final four. But he was on that, kind of that secondary studio show, you know, with Candace Parker and um, Ernie Johnson. I mean, it was still, you know, big names, uh, you know, some great personalities on that show as well. But, you know, there would be two studio shows often going on simultaneously with all the different games happening and that sort of thing. But, you know, they bring Jay over to the studio uh, for the final four and for the championship game. And, you know, he had some, some great insight. As well, and you know, it'll be interesting as far as his role moving forward. Is it will it be studio or will it be game analyst? Especially you know when you consider that slot with and Eagle as far as that that premier team moving forward for you know the championship game, the Final Four, moving into that Nance slot. You know who who will be Eagle's partner is is kind of the the one unknown not just, you know, in these coming years, but also like looking a little further long-term as well.
1: Yeah, I think that'll be interesting because do they want Jay Wright to be a game analyst? Do they want him to stay in the studio? I think he's obviously one of the guys that they have propped up pretty quickly here. And there's that dynamic. You saw Jay Wright when he was talking to coaches during these games, there was that familiarity. They felt comfortable with Jay. And then you're talking to Charles Barkley, Kenny Smith. I think, you know, it is what it is with those guys. Those guys are there to provide some levity, some fun, some entertainment to the studio show. And then you have Clark and Jay to kind of break it down for you. So there is a good dynamic if you like the levity, if you like Barkley's fun. If you're a hardcore college basketballer, you're probably one of those people who say get Barkley out of there. Get Smith out of there. But I think it it's a nice balance between having the two.
2: Yeah, I, I think so too. Especially you know for the, these big games where it's more of a, a national audience and you know more lay people in, in that kind of thing. And I mean, at the end of the day, it, it is entertainment. I mean, you saw you saw Barkley with that that big Styrofoam cowboy hat on and you know joking around and, and all these things. But yeah, you know they, there are other options if you, if you want to get more into the you know the nitty gritty of of college basketball. You know, and like I said, that secondary studio show I think kind of did a lot of that, you know, Seth Davis is part of that. Um, you know, you, you see John Rothstein on the, on the studio shows sometimes, and those guys, you know, live and breathe college basketball throughout the year. So, you know, there, there are other, other options, but I think it's, it's a good fit altogether. together. And uh, yeah, I mean, the main thing to me to keep an eye out for is this role of Jay Wright, you know, and, you know, it was suggested to me, you know, perhaps it's going to be iron Eagle raft and Hill, for a couple seasons, maybe, and then you move in Jay Wright as as you know Raft um, will eventually retire. You know, obviously because of it, covers his age and so forth. You know, does Grant Hill stick around? Is it just Iron Eagle and Raft who have a long history together as a you know two person crew? Ah, uh, those two have have done so many games together and have such chemistry. You know, it, it's really interesting to see how this shakes out. Jim Sp- Spinarkle is another factor in the in the whole equation too. You know, he's been Eagles' longtime partner also. So we'll we'll see what happens. But obviously, Jay Wright's going to be a big part of the equation yeah. unless for some reason he goes back into coaching. I mean, he's still at a fairly young age, but I don't, it seems like TV fits him.
1: I don't see Jay going back to the college game coaching maybe a small percentage outside shot. The Sixers get knocked out. His name is constantly brought up here around the Sixers. If they got knocked out in the first round or swept in the second round, maybe they throw a boatload of cash at him. But I think that this suits him. I think he likes it. I think he is made for this role. We talked about it back in November when the season started, and you brought up the story that he was going to be on there. I told you he would be a star. Uh, he is a star, and i i I'm very interested in what you said. Spinarkel, who does a solid job, I just don't know if he has the name value that the network wants on there for their national championship game. While he does a great job, I don't know that Jim Spinarkel is that sexy analyst that the they want to try to sell with the sizzle that Bill Rafferty and Grant Hill bring you. So do they pair Ian up with Rafferty and Hill? What happens with Spinarkel? And if they put Jay Wright into that role, what happens to Hill and Rafferty? Who do they get matched up with? So there's a lot of moving parts with this national uh, championship and the NCAA tournament moving forward here, Phil. All right. Uh, that was big. And then the radio side, Kevin Kugler, his call I thought was outstanding, by the way, um... For the weekend, I thought, you know, and here on ESPN Radio, where I program in Atlantic City, they used a lot of his calls coming in and out of the breaks uh, that they used because they didn't use the television call. Kugler, Kellogg, Jim Jackson, Andy Katz, they had Adam Horowitz uh, and uh, P.J. Carlissimo on in, in halftime and game, and pregame. I think P.J. does a great job there, but I definitely think Kugler, who's been a guest of the podcast, I thought his call was outstanding.
2: Yeah, I I agree. And, you know, I caught some of the pregame show of the national championship game, and it was the portion where P.J. Carlissimo was interviewing both of the head coaches and, boy, talking about some some great content there. And, you know, P.J. just knows the game so well, but he also knows how to, you know, to, to speak on air. And it was really, really compelling. And that connection he has with, with Danny Hurley and the whole, the whole New Jersey thing and, and, and so forth. So I thought um, P.J. W- was a big star of Westwood One's coverage, and certainly Kevin Kugler, you know, he, he's had some great calls all season long, and he did it again, you know, this year.
1: Let's hear it right here. Kevin Kugler, Westwood One in the Final Four.
2: San Diego
1: State heads to the Final Four championship game with this call.
3: Greenley looking right. Greenley fires it in. Caught by Martin near half court. Eight on the shot clock. Martin will hand it off to Davis. Davis with five to shoot against the rope. Driving down the right side of the lane. Runner won't go. Rebounded by Mensah. Six seconds to go. Five seconds. Butler to the right wing with three seconds. Butler in the corner with one second. Hoist the jumper. It's
1: good. It's good. Right, the Butler did it. Was the final stamp of the call from Kevin Kugler. I really thought good pace, good inflection. He nailed it. A uh, great job, Kevin Kugler.
2: Yeah, the the Westwood on coverage all all tournament long. I I really really enjoyed. You know, every time I would get in my car and have to travel someplace, I was able to pull it up and Bluetooth it through. And you know, just just great job by those guys once again. And Kugler nailed the Butler did it call right there in live time. Nance had it by the way but not until the you know replay a few yeah t- you know seconds later I so thought Fred Nance's was kind of call different. was
1: a little disjointed in the san Diego State game you know the rebound and he's asking do they have the right players on the floor is there enough time they don't and you know he he makes a shot and then you're right he kind of followed it up afterwards but kugler I thought nailed it a uh, great job there I do want to get Phil, um, for the listeners out there, everybody always says Dickie V never gets to call the tournament. That's not true. He was on the call, the international feed.
2: Yeah, he was on the call, the the international fe- fe- feed. Uh, Brian Custer was his play-by-player. Um, he also did one of the semifinal games. Jay Billis did the other. Uh, ESPN had a studio going, studio show going as well, which had, you know, all their, their big names. I think it was located outside the the stadium and um, so they had that coverage going as well that jay billis was a part of but then dickie v got to call the the championship game so he was right there courtside it went to like nearly 200 countries or something basically any place around the world that has a television that uh, transmit in the english language was listening to to Dicky v call the call the championship game which was kind of cool very cool all right uh, the
1: women's game obviously the ratings for this off the charts. It comes at a great time for the women's game. Their media rights are coming up that they can renegotiate and make some money off of the popularity of their sport. And we know they had massive ratings for the game. Almost 10 million people watched Iowa and LSU in the championship game. But I thought Ryan Rucco, Rebecca Lobo, uh, I thought their calls for the entire tournament. Rucco is an excellent play-by-player. He loves doing these games. Of course, he's the number two for the Nets, uh, for uh, Yes Network, and of course, uh, he is the voice of the women here on ABC and ESPN. But I thought Rucco had a really good tournament.
2: Yeah, I, I thought so as well. You know, the, these were big, big moments, and obviously, you know, the – the the spotlight was on women's basketball like we've never seen before and yeah Ruko and Lobo have created quite a bit of chemistry and Ruko does a great job kind of elevating those big moments as well and and bringing near the action you know the 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 championship game you mentioned had huge ratings that Friday night game wow what a, what a what a deal that was as well that Iowa South Carolina big upset i i think it's kind of got lost in the shuffle a little bit you know just how overwhelming of a favorite South Carolina was to win this whole tournament, just roll through this thing, and then Iowa knocks them off and you know, just just wild stuff in the women's Final Four.
1: Let's take a listen to Ryan Rucco in the Final Four as Iowa knocks off previously unbeaten South Carolina.
2: This is a win!
1: The mythical mastery. He goes with uh, Caitlin Clark. Obviously, became a star in this tournament. If you didn't know her, now you know. Uh, but you're right. I think it did get lost to the sauce that this team had won 41 straight games and then gets knocked off in the final four here.
2: Yeah, absolutely wild. And you know, um, I know that people have talked before how Friday nights not a big you know sports television night and that kind of thing. Kind of tough to get viewers on a on a Friday night. But yeah, I mean, I think. People were tuning in to this deal as the numbers showed, and Ruco comes through with it with the big call there. I do want to mention Westwood One had some great coverage of the women's final four as well. Ryan Radke, uh, Debbie Antonelli. Debbie did a ton of games in this tournament. She may have been the leader in the clubhouse as far as who did the most actual NCAA tournament games across men's and women's because she was bouncing back and forth between the two tournaments. And even doubled up, you know, where she was doing TV and radio at one uh, region for for a little bit there. So um, a hat tip to Debbie Antonelli and all the hustle um, she uh, pulled off during this this tournament. Krista Blunt, the reporter for Westwood One, as well. And also, I don't know if you got a chance to check out the uh, Bird and Ter- Terassi uh, alternate presentation over on ESPN Two. You know that that was. Uh, compelling as well for, for the second straight year. A lot of fun over there. But, yeah, the women's Final Four, you know, some great coverage from ABC and, and ESPN. And, you know, we've seen the sport reach a level. This was really kind of a, a coming out party for the for the women's basketball and the women's Final Four.
1: Uh, yeah, and we'll see what ends up happening with that uh, tournament moving forward here. That was a 3.30 Sunday game. There's been some talk Do you put it in prime time. Did it work better because it was in the afternoon and there wasn't as many choices there? Uh, that's something that we'll be talking about, I'm sure. Last Word on Sports here, the podcast feed. You get three for one, tell me a story I don't know. Uh, last Word on Sports with TJ. And then, of course, we drop here on Thursdays. Mike Monaco from ESPN will be our guest here. In about 11 minutes from now, so stick around for that conversation. He's got ESPN duties this weekend on the NHL. We're going to have Sean McDonough on this feed as a standalone uh, on Friday, so check back on that. And then former Sixer play-by-player Mark Zumoff. So we're going to have a bunch of different cool conversations coming up here on the announcer schedules podcast. That women's final four takes us to right back to Jim Nance, the Masters. Par three, Sean McDonough, by the way, one of the reasons why we're going to be talking to him tomorrow, he had par three duties and traveling today, Uh, so we're going to catch up with him tomorrow once his travel is all done, but Jim Nance, 38th consecutive year in the Masters, holy mackle, but he's got a new lead analyst with him this year, and then the entire crew for CBS and the Masters. ESPN has their coverage as well and then don't forget SiriusXM XM radio Mike Tirico is back on golf here
2: yeah so you know another um, year of masters it's going to be interesting you know I'm not all that far from Augusta Georgia here in the mountains of western North Carolina and there's some serious weather coming through you know this part of the country throughout the weekend a lot of rain so this might get pushed back you know as far as that final round goes all the all the way to monday so that'll be interesting how that all shakes out but yeah jim nance like you said 38th consecutive year covering the masters his 36th time in that that host role and you know he obviously sir nick Faudo, who who was with them for all those years has stepped away and trevor immelman now the the lead analyst so this will be his masters debut you know they've gotten a, a few good reps under their their belt already this year with other PGA events, and then you know a lot of familiar names, but also guys who we know from other sports. Also, Andrew Catalon, who is a big star of the the NCAA tournament, he's going to be one of the whole announcers for for CBS. And Uncle Vern, Vern Lundquist, will be back as well as one of the whole announcers. So I know I know people get it get a big kick out of that and enjoy uh, Vern Lundquist. You know, so a lot of the familiar names you mentioned, ESPN with Scott Van Pelt and Curtis Strange. Uh, they'll be bringing a bunch of coverage as well, and then um, Tariqo heading up that that radio coverage. So it'll be interesting, you know. Once again, the Masters, one of the the um, premier sporting events on television, without a doubt, the production is just out of this world. You know what CBS continues to do year in year out as far as bringing the the sights and the sounds of um, Augusta National. But yeah, can't wait to to get this going. And you know, Jim Nance, while you know we were able to. Um, tip our hat and say goodbye to him on the NCAA tournament side. Uh, all indications are he's going to keep on going with the, the hello friends over at the, the Masters for quite a while Yeah, and,
1: and keep in mind, Jim's a young man. I mean, I think he's 63 years old. It's not like uh, he's at the end of the road here. He probably could have kept on going. I think he told Andrew Marshan uh, of the New York Post that, um, you know, he wanted to spend more time with his family, and that's why he's deciding to leave the NCAA tournament. But he has no plans of leaving the NFL, and I think uh, the Masters. He he had kind of said he wants to try to get to a certain number of Masters. I can't remember what that number was, but right now, currently, uh, he is uh, his 38th consecutive year covering the Masters, and um, this is the 36th time he'll be the host in the host role as well. So uh, he he has basically been with the Masters longer than he was the NCAA tournament.
2: Yeah, I, I've seen some different reports, but uh, yeah, the 2036 Masters, I think, is what he's got his eye on, which would be his 50th, 50th year, right? That Masters. makes sense. I think it's, it's somewhere in that neighborhood, 2035, 2036. Um, so we'll we'll keep an eye on that. Yeah, you mentioned, you know, it, it, relatively speaking, compared to some of these announcers, you know, he he's he's in his early 60s. He does have fairly young children, and I think that was part of the Uh, thought process that he wants to you know spend more time with them and uh, this by stepping away from the ncaa tournament you know just cuts down on uh, you know the kind of the the massive travel that he had been doing you know but he's still going to be plenty busy between the masters and then the nfl all
1: right uh this is the announcer schedule podcast and let's move on uh let's see we got masters we got mlb And, uh, man, just a bit outside. Bob Eucher, 89. We're talking about age. He's 89, and he's still got all the energy in the world as uh, he calls a opening week walk-off homer here. Let's take a listen as the Brewers come from behind to beat the Mets. Bob Eucher on the call. Tied at six in the ninth. And the pitch. Hit it! All right, Bob Euchre on the call, eighty-nine years old, and he still hammered that one. I mean, uh, he—he's a gem, man. If you're a Milwaukee fan, he's a gem.
2: Yeah, uh, unbelievable that he's still going at that age. You know, he started calling Brewers games in 1971. You know, to 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 kind of put that in perspective after you know his playing career and so forth, and you know he did national television work with Major League Baseball for for a good stretch there also in the you know, 70s and 80s. Uh, He was on NBC in the 90s for a bit, I believe, with Bob Costas and and Joe Morgan. You know, so, you know, certainly a a big, big name in the sports world. I mean, he'll always be remembered for those Miller Lite commercials as well, you know, and, you know, uh, uh, just a bit outside and, you know, I must be in the front row and, you know, all those great quips from from Euchre. He he blends in the humor. I think a lot of people,
1: I think a lot of people, Phil might
2: remember him from the movie Major League. Yeah, and from the movie Major League, so he, you know, he blends in the humor with really solid play-by-play work. Also, I mean, the guy knows his baseball like like nobody's business. So it's really kind of a fascinating case, you know, where a lot of people know him sort of just as this character, but in reality, you know, he's calling all these games as the the voice of the Brewers, and you know, there for every single pitch.
1: Uh, I did ride the elevator once with Bob Uecker at a Phillies game.
2: Wow, that's my okay. uh,
1: that's my that's my claim to to Bob Euchre fame, right there. I rode the elevator with Bob Euchre. It was Phillies Brewers, uh, wild card series. It was the one actually where uh, CC Sabathia gave up uh, the grand slam. I think it was a Shane Victorino, and that must have been 08. So I'm going back to 08 when I rode the elevator with Bob Euchre, and he's still going strong, man. Uh, so Bob Euchre, right there. Talk about uh, going strong. Uh, 40th anniversary for the Mariners radio voice. Tell us about it.
2: Yeah, Rick Riz, uh, his 40th anniversary of his first game with the Mariners as their radio voice. So he he's another example of one of these, you know, long-time uh, voices. I mean, once the Mariners um, announced and kind of put it together that this was, his, you know, the 40th anniversary of his first game, I mean, the outpouring of, you know, just kudos and, and, and uh, gratitude that, you know, the Mariners have a radio voice like Rick, was pretty significant. You know, I, I look back on his career a little further, you know, he, he did, hasn't spent the entire time with the Mariners. Uh, he did spend a few years with the Tigers in the, in the 1990s as, as their voice, but then came back to to Seattle as the radio voice. So congratulations to Rick Riz, you know, just an, another great milestone here for, for one of these announcers who, you know, in, in so many ways, you know, has become synonymous with, with a certain team, Aaron Goldsmith, by the way, you know, splits the play-by-play duties, you know, a lot of these major league baseball radio um, operations, you know, where it's not so much necessarily play-by-play and analysts next to each other, but, you know, they're kind of a a duo of sorts where they'll split up the innings and that kind of thing. And so, so Rick and Aaron do that quite a bit with the Mariners and, you know, just, just another example of how these guys, you know, hold on to these jobs for a long time. And when they do eventually become open, it's a big deal. All right, uh, Mike Monaco is going to join us here in just a
1: couple of minutes before we get to Mike, who's called some MLB games as well. He's also on the NHL this weekend. Apple's making their TV debut on Friday. So if you're listening to the podcast on Thursday when it drops, uh, that's tomorrow, Rangers-Cubs 2 o'clock and 7 o'clock. we got Padres and Braves, and they got some new names calling on
3: Apple.
2: Yeah, so the Rangers-Cubs game, uh, Alex Faust, you know, who does a bunch of uh, work for fox sports as well he does a bunch of um uh hockey also he'll be on the call for that game uh, ryan Spilboros is going to be his analyst Tricia whitaker who was part of the apple tv crew last year uh she'll be the reporter and then wayne Rondazzo, dontrell willis and heidi Watney have the padres braves game randazzo recently named the the voice of the angels uh on the television side so you know he'll be um, you know, managing that schedule along with these Friday Apple TV games. But, you know, a bit of a shift as far as what we saw last year in terms of the Apple TV's approach to these broadcasts, you know, looking a little bit more traditional here. And uh, yeah, it's also, I I believe, requiring a subscription now. So So we'll see what sort of you know, uh, pushback the public gives on, on that. But, yeah, they'll get going in earnest this Friday. A couple more baseball notes. FS1 Saturday, Rangers-Cubs,
1: ESPN Sunday Night Baseball,
2: Padres-Braves,
1: Carl Ravitch, who's been a guest of this podcast. Go back to our archives, Eduardo Perez, Dave Cohn, Buster Olney. That's the Sunday Night Crew. Cone is back after Roger Clements made the debut last week because Cohn had yes duty. ESPN Radio – Former guest of the podcast, Mike Cousins, on Padres Brief. Saturday with Dougie Glanville. And then on Sunday, Boog Siambi back for Sunday Night Baseball with Doug Glanville. I had Doug Glanville on the radio uh, with me a week ago. Outstanding. Such a smart guy. I love to have him on this pod to talk about his journey a little bit because I think he's and, – and ESPN is using him a lot more now in this analyst role. So Boog and Doug, Sunday Night Baseball. Ah, uh, Brendan Burke has been named the new leadoff voice for Peacocks coverage on that's that Sunday game,
2: yeah. If you recall, you know that that debuted last year. And you know this is NBC's sort of rollout of getting back into to baseball. And, you know, they use sort of some of those elements of the old days with with NBC doing so many major league baseball games over the years. Brendan Burke has been named the play-by-play voice, the lead play-by-play voice for that package. It was Jason Benetti last year, and uh, there's going to be some games that actually Matt Vaskirgen and also Chris Boster's will be doing as well when Burke's on assignment, because he does a bunch of hockey, uh, NHL on TNT, as well as he's the voice of the New York Islanders on MSG. You also may recall Burke last year was one of those fill-ins uh for John Sterling on Yankees games on WFAN radio when when they were you know using some some different voices there so kind of cool to see Burke get this opportunity and uh yeah baseball we're right back in the thick of it all right there we go we got the baseball schedule this weekend we just gave you that we'll
1: get to the NBA the NHL the Frozen Four as well we got some great voices calling that but let's bring in right now our guest this week on the announcer schedules podcast a very Versatile play-by-player ESPN, Uh, you've heard him call MLB, the NHL, the Little League World Series, uh, college baseball, football, lacrosse, volleyball. He has done it all, very versatile. And this weekend, Mike Monaco will be calling the Golden Knights Dallas Stars ESPN's coverage of the NHL. They're getting down to their playoffs and he joins us right now. By the way, that's a 330 ABC triple header. Bob Wischusen has that first game with Brian Boucher and Leah Hextall. Bob, of course, has been a guest of the podcast. And then Sean McDonough, Ray Ferraro, Emily Kaplan, they have the night calf. We're going to talk to Sean McDonough in a standalone interview on uh, tomorrow. So look on the feed for that. But let's bring in Mike Monaco right now to the announcer schedules podcast with Mike and Phil. Mike, how are you, man?
3: Hey, guys. Mike, Phil, thank you guys so much for having me. Uh, I'm doing great. It's a pleasure to be with you guys. Uh, Not just a fan of the podcast, but obviously the feed as well. I think me, like many, uh, whether in the industry or out of the industry, can say that. So my pleasure to be with you guys, and and thanks for the kind words.
1: Yeah, it's great to have you. You got uh, NHL duties this weekend, so let's kind of start there uh, because it's coming down the stretch in the NHL. So kind of give us a little background uh, on how you kind of worked your way into ESPN's NHL coverage.
3: Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a pretty funny story, actually. Um, it was late in the season last year. It was February. So, you know, two months left um, in the NHL regular season, and I get a text from one of our bosses at ESPN that says, hey, do you do hockey? And I do do hockey, uh, and I do a lot more of it now. Um, <laughs> but at that time, I had done no hockey uh, for ESPN. So no college hockey, and certainly to that point in the season, hadn't done any NHL. Um, but I had done college hockey when I was in school at Notre Dame. Um, we has got a great college hockey program. And then I'd done college hockey at big 10 network as well, where I was for a few years before ESPN. Um, and then I'd done a few Chicago Blackhawks fill in games since I'm based in Chicago last year. Um, so I said, yes. And that turned into doing three regular season games for ESPN at the end of last season. And from that, Turned out I was doing the playoffs uh, last year and got to call uh, first round of of the playoffs between the Florida Panthers and the Washington Capitals. And that have been really, really fortunate that this year it's turned into a more um, permanent and, and, you know, more... um, more extensive role within the the ESPN NHL family. And needless to say, it's been a blast um, work with incredible teammates and to cover a league like that and a sport that fun has been a blast. It's also been a really big challenge um, given, like I said, not like I had a lot of NHL experience before then, um, but it has been a blast
1: yeah I know uh you know if you've never done hockey or if you've done little a little bit of hockey or if you haven't done hockey at the speed of the n h l that is a huge challenge to just kind of jump right into so uh when did you first like when was your first foray into hockey that you felt comfortable enough to say, you know what I, I can handle the speed of an n h l game
3: you know uh, if i'm being honest it it probably was not last year um it it was moving fast, right and to your point, like even if you say yeah, I've done hockey before, and even if you've done it, it, it moves at a different speed at the NHL. And they are the best conditioned athletes in the world, and they have the highest skill level in the world. And I think anyone will tell you the game has really changed in the last you know, 20 years and the pace at which it's played and the skill level with which it's operated at. Um, so for me, yeah, it, it was probably early on this season where I felt like, all right, you're, you're, you're up to speed on, uh, on how fast this is moving. Not to say I'm a finished product by any means. Um, but yeah, I've had to work really hard behind the scenes to, uh, to hopefully get to a, a speed with which, uh, I can hang with, with the guys on the ice.
2: Mike appreciate you joining the program and appreciate, you know, your support of the the feed as well and you know we follow and we document announcers and their comings and goings and so forth. About a month ago, you had a 10 game 14 day stretch that included five straight days with action, college hoops, college baseball, you had a couple Red Sox games, you were back and forth, uh, you had an NHL game Sabers and and islanders uh what a stretch that was but you know you stay busy and somehow are able to juggle these different sports these different uh settings and so forth would love to you to reflect a little bit on your schedule how you manage it all and in particular that stretch and how you pulled that one off
3: yeah i appreciate the question um How do you balance the sports, I guess, first of all, from a a bigger picture perspective? um, I think like wherever your focus is for that day or those hours of a day, you just have to lock in totally on that sport you're preparing for in that moment or that game that you're calling. And so it's, it's kind of like compartmentalizing for me, at least mentally. Um, and in my mind of, Hey, like I've got to lock in on major league baseball today and the Red Sox and the Atlanta Braves. And all right, a couple days from now, like I will lock in wholeheartedly on the Columbus blue jackets and the Buffalo Sabres. But right now it's Red Sox. Um, And then, yeah, as for how do you manage like 10 games in 14 days, I think that stretch for me Um, started in Vegas, then went to Florida for spring training, then went to Buffalo for the NHL, um, went home, then went to Charlottesville, Virginia for college basketball, Um, then had college baseball, a game being played in Gainesville, Florida, then back to Florida for spring training Um, back to New York, this time to Long Island for the NHL, and then back to Florida for spring training. So um, making sure you know which gate and a flight you're supposed to be on is, I guess, uh, first and foremost a priority. Um, But no, just, you know, it's, it's fun, right? Like I I feel supremely lucky to be calling those games. And so like, yeah, it's, it's busy and you know, it's hectic so to speak, but um, I, I know that I'm really lucky to be in a position where I can call all sorts of different games like that. Um, So it's just a matter of getting your work done in advance when you can. Um, And then even in the, the midst of the busyness, you know, focusing on what's the most important stuff for your preparation. Um, and kind of prioritizing all right what do i really need to have down to go into this broadcast today if maybe i don't have time to do every single last thing and read every last article about a team or pour through every you know statistical nugget prioritizing as well and that's a big help in, in getting through a stretch like that
2: great great stuff mike uh we're here with mike monaco and mike you know we have a lot of aspiring broadcasters listen to our program as well you know college broadcasters that sorts of things and you got started as an intern while you were at Notre Dame at Nessen, and now you're you know part of the Red Sox broadcast in such a big way would love for you to tell that story and perhaps you know some advice or lessons to college students who are looking to break into the industry and how those internships can pay off.
3: Yeah, I'll start with the the second part first. Um, be open to anything and, you know, say say yes to opportunities within an internship or even in pursuit of an internship and applying for stuff. I was talking to a college student this week and, and told her that, like, you know, keep an open mind. Um, you might get exposed to something that you didn't know you'd be interested in. Or I had college professors who would say this to me doing an internship might be great because it eliminates something that you then know you don't want to do. And that's helpful as a a data point for yourself, so to speak as well, um, going forward. So yeah, like pursue things, have an open mind, say yes to whatever you can, um, and work your tail off, like at your internship, it's a chance to, to make, um, to make an impression and to, be willing to work and to learn. And um, if you're, if you're there working hard, I think people around you will, will probably notice and, you know, take more of an interest in, in what you're doing and appreciate your work ethic and the value you're trying to bring to wherever it is you're working. Um, as for me specifically interning at Nesson, yeah, it was the summer of 2012, um, which was a in an interesting but uh, forgettable from a record standpoint Red Sox season, but for me it was really special to be there interning at Nessun. Um Matt Stairs was one of our studio guys, um, and we we didn't really know each other, but you know he might see me uh, occasionally, you know once a week or something walking around through the offices at Nesson when he was doing pre and post game coverage. He thought I looked like Zach Granke, so he exclusively referred to me as Zach. From a certain point on, whenever he saw me. Um, so that was, that was how I was roaming the halls of Nesson, at least in his eyes at that point. But yeah, it was special. Um, I got to sit in an edit bay working on um, 30-second promos that would air on Nesson, sort of recapping that night's game and then looking ahead to the next day's game. And because of that, we would sit in this edit bay throughout that night's Red Sox game And we had a feed audio wise where we could listen to the truck's communication to the announcers. So I could hear what the producer and the director were saying and having a conversation with the play-by-play guy, Don Orsillo, and the analyst, Jerry Remy. And so that was really cool exposure for me, you know, just starting to figure out that I wanted to do play-by-play and to be able to listen in and, and hear those conversations. So that's just a, a small window into what was uh, an incredible internship. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty neat to, to be a part of that with Nesson back then.
1: Uh, Mike Monaco's with us here, and, and then you parlay that. In fact, you're still doing some fill-in play-by-play for the Red Sox on Nesson. You've called game for the Blackhawks, the Bulls, and the White Sox. So, I mean, obviously you've kind of hit it out on all the majors there. Uh, Pretty cool. So how do you go uh, to get that call to ESPN? Kind of take our listeners through because everybody's wondering, okay, I do a lot of play-by-play. How do I make that jump? What was it for you? When was that moment uh, that you got that call? Because throughout the course of this podcast, we've had so many great stories of, you know, hey, I was driving in my car and they just called me and they listened to hear. How did that call happen for you?
3: Yeah, you know, in some ways it was similar to what it sounds like you're describing and what I'm sure other people have experienced. Um, I I wasn't driving in a car, but I was sitting in my apartment on a Monday night in October of 2019. um, And I got a call from my agent and he said, hey, uh, you got a minute? I said, yeah, sure. He said, are are you ready? I, I got some big news for you. And I didn't know what it was. Um, and he said, Hey, ESPN has offered you a a multi-year contract. And I was surprised and and blown away. Um, and obviously incredibly excited. I was in the middle of college football season with big 10 network where I was working at that point. Um, so I was working for big 10 network and calling some games for FS one, uh, this a few years out of college and got, got that phone call out of the blue. Um, and again, right in the middle of, of football season, I remember I was getting ready for the start of that week for a game that was coming up on Saturday, um, Indiana Maryland college football on on Big Ten Network, and had a week to basically figure out what I was going to do and talk to the folks at, at BTN who were incredible to me, and I've remained friends with a lot of people there. Um, And, you know, it wasn't necessarily a situation where I was looking to leave. So that, um, you know, made it challenging to to say goodbye eventually to the people there who, like I said, had been so good to me. Um, But what an incredible opportunity it was at ESPN. And um, it has been. So now I'm in my fourth year, which feels crazy to say, fourth year at ESPN. And um, yeah, from getting that that one phone call out of the blue to, uh, to now be in there for a few years. It's been an incredible journey, and I'm really grateful for it. I think one of the more unique uh,
1: opportunities is to call the Little League World Series. This thing has become such a you know cultural phenomenon. These kids take over the month of August, and uh, you've been a part of that. So give us a little background on how that all came about and what goes into a broadcast
3: with 12-year-olds. <laughs> uh, well, I'll start by saying it is my favorite event um in calendar year these last couple years i think i've done about a hundred games a year for espn and of that hundred there's there's nothing i enjoy more than the little league world series and um it's just a really special event um yeah different from from anything else that i do um as for how it came about um i had been doing college baseball um this was would have been the 2021 season, so it was my second year, really my first full year of college baseball um, at ESPN. And, yeah, through whatever reasons elsewhere in the company, a, a spot opened up, and um, I had done college baseball. That had led to me doing some major league baseball um, for ESPN that year and, um, yeah, turned into to doing the Little League World Series. So that was really neat. And then as for, you know, what what those broadcasts are like, it's very different, right? Like these are, like you said, 12-year-olds in some cases, 11, and in some cases there's a few 10-year-olds there. Um, They bring such a purity to the event that that's the word I always come back to with the Little League World Series. And I think it's easy, and it's the goal, at least for me, to just feed off of their energy and positivity and emotion, like the joy that you see on a face, Maybe after a big play or maybe after they make a mistake too or something goofy happens in the dugout or a mound visit where a coach comes out in a really high-pressure and stressful part of the game and you can tell that there's jokes being told and kids laughing. Like, how can you not enjoy that? So, like, we try to, as a collective group, both behind the scenes with our, our great production staff and then the people on air there with us in Williamsport, Like we try to bring that to you at home. Like it's a fun event and it's different than anything else. Like I said, that we broadcast, but it's different than anything else you watch on TV. Um, And I think that's why it has such a reach year after year. You know, I'll hear from people that I haven't heard from in years saying, Hey, like I was watching the little league world series and wow. Wow. It's so cool. I'm rooting for this team. Um, It's such a connective event and it comes at a, you know, a great time of the year as well. Um, in the summer, where I think a lot of people are excited to flip on the TV, maybe at 11 a.m. or noon, and uh, and watch 12-year-olds play baseball, and uh, bring that that energy and positivity, like I said, that they have to life.
1: Yeah, I, I I actually managed and won the World Series at the 13-year-old level, so nobody cares about us oh, wow. at 13. We're we're <laughs> we're old at that point. But I can tell you at that World Series, I mean, we had Hawaii and New York and Montana and New Jersey and Texas, and every night everyone was downstairs around that television watching the Little League World Series. I mean, it was just amazing how people were so uh, – how magnifying that event is for families who have baseball players. So it was a really cool event. So if you ever need a color analyst – for uh, Little League World Series, I am a uh, World Series winner. There, Mike Monaco. Um, yeah, accomplished
3: <laughs> manager. It sounds like that's
1: right. Well, I know you've brought some, you know, uh, managers of the Little League World Series to do some color in the past. You know, I, I have a World Series on my resume. That's
3: all. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's one and the same, and and you could argue even better.
2: <laughs> Phil, go ahead. Yeah, Mike, a, a incredible versatility. MLB, NHL, Little League World Series, college baseball you know, basketball on down the list. But at the end of the day, play-by-play announcer, you know, it would be, you know, sort of, you know, what I would identify you with. You know, can you talk about that role as far as being a play-by-play man first and foremost? And, you know, even if there's a sport perhaps that, you know, you're unfamiliar with, if you get that call, you've got to adjust and and get it done as a professional.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it, it comes down to kind of what you're getting at. Like, the nuts and bolts of the role, regardless of sport. And I suppose, regardless of experience are always the same, right? Like document the game, um, make us care about who these characters are, so to speak, like who the players are, who the coaches are, who the teams are, um, again, regardless of sport. And then like the energy of the competition, and maybe that sounds simplistic, but like the, the competition meaning like what's at stake here, like find a way to convey that excitement and and that energy and you know, the tension that exists within that. Um and and try to serve those purposes, like document the game, do it in that way. Um and yeah, it's it's different based on the sport and regardless of what your experience is too. Uh and you know, depending on what your experience is as well. So You know, I've had the, you know, the opportunity at times to call sports where I don't have really any experience doing those sports. And there's no way you can become an expert overnight. Like the sheer volume of reps will help you get to that point. And there's not a direct substitute for it. Um, But I think you can try. And so, like, for anyone out there listening, who's maybe diving into a sport they haven't done before. What I've tried to do, and I kind of alluded to this talking about hockey in the NHL earlier, is, like, just immerse yourself in the sport. Like, listen to podcasts that talk about the sport. Like, for me, when I was calling lacrosse and trying to become, you know, better versed in lacrosse, I was listening to every Inside Lacrosse podcast that get downloaded into my podcast feed on my phone. Um, Read the rule book, you know, like there's no substitute for knowing the laws of the game, so to speak, and the language of the game. Um, Listen to other announcers who call that sport at the highest level that you think do the best job of it and take notes like on what they're saying and how they go about broadcasting that sport. Um, Ask your, your analyst who you're working with. Ask them questions. Hey, I don't understand this. You know, I heard this come up on a game I was watching. What does it mean? Or in a conversation with a coach, they talked about this in terms of strategy. Like, what do they mean by that? I can't tell you how many questions like that I asked to our volleyball analysts at Big Ten Network, just trying to understand volleyball better back in, you know, 2018, 2019. Um, it's, it's really helpful. So anyway, that's the, the approach I've taken to it, Phil, um, in regards to your question on versatility and, and sports like that, that maybe you don't have as much history with, but trying to get yourself to a level where um, you can do the event justice and the people who are playing in it and coaching in it, and you can do it justice. I think that's the goal.
2: Makes a lot of sense. And Mike, you mentioned Don Orsillo and how you, you know, you were part of those Nesson broadcasts as an intern would love to hear other play by play announcers who over the years have either influenced you from just watching and listening to them, you know, perhaps even, you know, as a youth, but also, you know, through interactions now that, you know, you're on this, this level now where you're, you know, rubbing shoulders with a lot of these guys. Can you tell us some of your influences from the play by play side?
3: Um, Yeah, for sure. And surreal to even think of the phrase rubbing shoulders with them because, yeah, there's so many people in this industry that um, that I look up to and still do and always will. You know, Um, I think one thing that I would say overarchingly about this industry is there are so many people willing to help. Goes back to when I was in college and first figured out that I wanted to do this, and continues now. You know, um, as recently as you know, last couple of days, like having conversations with people in the industry uh, who are way higher up than me, whose work I really admire, and um, picking their brains and offering, getting feedback from them. Um, but but people who have been great to me, like I, I'll definitely be leaving certain people out for sure. Um, but first names that come to mind: um, Jason Benetti. Adam Amin, um, Sean McDonough, Len Casper. Um, he was great to me when uh, my first minor league baseball job was in the Cubs organization. And, and he at the time was still the the Cubs television voice. Um, Brian Anderson has been incredibly kind to me. Um, so again, it, it's a really long list of people. And, um, you know many of them have have said to me, just just pay it forward like you're welcome for for taking the time if I say thank you to them, but um you know pay it forward because there's other people coming who who wanna do this, and um you know like we're all in this to you know enjoy sports together so uh hopefully can can pay it forward to to other people who uh will ascend you know to really, really high levels calling games someday.
1: Uh Mike Monaco, uh ABC's triple header, Vegas, Dallas. He's got that middle game. And uh, you know, we talked about versatility. We'll leave you with we as we do with many of our guests here on the Announcer Schedules podcast, if you had one, which the one you pick, which one do you feel you are most synonymous with?
3: Which sport? Yes. Uh oof, probably baseball. Um I, I, it's a cop out to say, like, I've always been that guy who, who loved whatever sport, uh, whatever season we were in. That that sport was my favorite. I really was that kid growing up and still am in a lot of ways. But I would say baseball, like if I had to pick one that I am most um, aligned with, I, I've done the most of it. You know, I did five years in minor league baseball, a couple summers in addition to and before that um, in the Cape Cod Baseball League. So. I got to give a a one-word, one-sport answer, it'd be baseball. All
1: right. Mike Monaco, check him out this weekend on ABC. The NHL is coming down the stretch. He'll have Golden Knights and the Dallas Stars, the playoffs, and more. Of course, he was kind enough to join us right here on the Announcer Schedules podcast. Mike, appreciate your time, and uh, obviously safe travels with everything that you got going on, and good luck with the rest of all your seasons.
3: Thank you guys so much uh, for having me. Thanks for the the great work you do here on the podcast and on the feed. And uh, yeah, Mike, Phil, thanks guys. Really, really enjoyed it. All right. Mike Monaco,
1: ESPN, everybody here on the podcast, Phil, uh, awesome stories. And you talked about the travel. We love to hear the travel stories.
2: Yeah. Love those travel stories. And you know, Thinking back to what he did in, in March, you know that ten game, fourteen day stretch. You know you had a Saturday college hoops game on ESPN two. The very next day, you saw him over on SEC Network calling some early season college baseball. Red Sox, you know, did down in spring training on that Monday, and then off to a Sabers Islanders game on ESPN plus and Hulu for the their NHL package. Then back to the Red Sox, and you know that was just getting started during that fourteen day stretch. And you know, documenting all these coming and goings of the play-by-play announcers and, you know, the different commentators throughout the national broadcast, I feel like Mike Monaco's name comes up as, as much as any, you know, because he does all the, this um, versatile work, you know, college baseball, little league, World Series, you know, uh, different different MLB games, different college basketball, college football games. You name it. You know, that sort of versatility can can really go a long way as far as getting all these assignments. And not to mention, he's you know part of that Nessin. Red Sox team as well so really impressive you know what what he he's been able to do um you know a, a quick rise in, in his career and uh really appreciated him coming on the on the show here and in sharing you know some of his journey and some great advice also for for college yeah. students and for broadcasters who are you know trying to bust into the business
1: yeah absolutely good stuff with him and uh, he has that NHL this weekend as he said I never really had any NHL I tried to call hockey Phil I don't know if you've ever done it if they called me and asked me, I would have to politely decline. Like, I just could not keep – that is one sport that I've tried, and I just – I, I know my limitations. Baseball, basketball, football, I've done MMA, and I just – hockey is It's just – it's something that I just uh, do not feel comfortable. So kudos for him getting that call. And, you know, that's not easy to make that jump from even the collegiate level up to the NHL. So he'll have the call this weekend – Ah, uh, for the NHL. Speaking of NHL, by the way, go ahead,
2: Mike. I am in a similar boat as you with the with the NHL. I, I'll tell a quick story. You know, um, I, I consider myself a pretty versatile statistician who's worked a bunch of different games for a def- bunch of different broadcasts. You know, and a bunch of different sports and all these things. And I got a call once to do a Florida Panthers uh, television assignment. You know, being their their statistician up in the booth, and I was you know I had a, a lot of trepidation accepting it and I was like you know I, I've never done a hockey game before I, i'm I don't know if I would do it justice and you know the the assigner kept on pushing me and saying oh you, you'll be able to handle it we, we totally trust you you can you can, come on you know you can, you can pull it off and all this and I honestly was lost the entire game you know and and I feel like I can watch a game on on television and and know what's going on and so forth but when it came to being that Deep into the sport and keeping track of everything and following the action and following and keeping like a paper uh, book basically of, of keeping up with the statistics. Uh, it was the same situation that you described, Mike. But for me, from the the stats standpoint, that I said. I, I'm gonna just politely say no. That you know, they find somebody more qualified who can do a better job for y'all. If you, if you if you ever need a hockey statistician, it is a difficult sport to to cover. There's no doubt, and uh, I tip my hat to those who who are able to do it so well.
1: Very difficult, yes. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, there was a game. I don't know if I've told the story on this pod before, but when the NHL was on uh, strike or locked out, whenever that was years ago, they played a charity game. Uh, at Boardwalk Hall in Atlantic City, and it was, um, I think it had to do for Sandy, the Hurricane Sandy, and I think they were trying to raise money for people there. And there was, like, top flight players, like Martin Brodeur was one of the goaltenders. I think Mike Richter might have been. But some of these guys had been just retired, but there was a mix of, like, players who had just retired and guys who were still playing. It was the only hockey game you could find, like, anywhere, because everybody, you know, there was a lockout. Um, and our radio station, which is in Atlantic City, and the game was at Boardwalk Hall in Atlantic City, we decided to put the game on the radio. But we do not have a play-by-player to do hockey, so I was going to try to do the play-by-play, and I and I said, you know what, I just cannot do it. It would just not be credible. I called a guy who was working with us at the time. He had done some college hockey, and he he did an outstanding job. The guy's name was Ryan Messick. Uh, he did an outstanding job, but I said, man— He blew me away. He sounded like he was a Stanley Cup Game 7 guy next to what I would have done that night. But it was a great event. But that was my – I did college hockey at West Virginia. It was a club team. You would do the game at 1130 on Friday night from like a crow's nest at the Morgantown, you know, municipal ice rink. I just said, no, not me. So Mike Monaco, NHL. We're going to have Sean McDonough. Uh, hopefully tomorrow he had the Masters Part 3, so we're scheduled to have him tomorrow, along with Mark Zumov, the former Sixer play-by-player. So uh, look back on the feed. You'll get this on Thursday. Come back on Friday and check out the feed. Uh, last word on sports. Mike and Phil, let's, uh, all right, let's boogie down with the uh, NBA real fast, some NHL stuff we kind of told. We'll go with the NHL because we just talked— uh, Saturday, you got a triple header. Bob and Brian Boucher, Leah Heckstall at one. Mike Monaco is on the call at 3:30. And then uh eight o'clock, Devil's Brew and Sean McDonough, uh, with Ray Farrar and Emory Kaplan. They got a Sunday TNT double header: Brendan Burke, Darren Pang, Jackie Redman. That's Brewers Flyers. How do they keep putting the Flyers on national television. Uh, Avalanche Ducks, Kenny Albert, Eddie Olchek, Keith Jones, who, by the way, is the Flyers. Uh, color analyst Keith Jones is. Uh, so there you go. There's your NHL. And then on uh, NBA, TNT Thursday, this is the last week. Heat Sixers tonight. Brian Anderson, Stan Van Gundy, Jared Greenberg, Nuts uh, Nuggets, Suns, Kevin Harlan, Reggie Miller, Stephanie Reddy, uh, as they have that doubleheader. ESPN Radio, Brian Cooster and Roscoe and Wode brings you that game on ESPN Radio on the national G-League championships. How about this? John Schiffer and Corey Alexander are on the G-League. That is the Delaware Bluecoats, the Sixers affiliate, against the Rio Grande Valley Vipers. It's game two, and that is on ESPN News. You know, there's a local company here called BFA Sports. They do the production, and I do a lot of their play-by-play, for the Sixers G-League team, the Bluecoats, during the regular season.
2: Yeah, so Bluecoats and in, in Vipers getting some coverage there. You know, if the the uh, three-game series goes to a uh, game three, that'll be Sunday on ESPNU. And you know, John Schrift and Corey Alexander, David Resnick, as you mentioned. Corey Alexander, I mean, talking about another guy who has done a bunch of games throughout this basketball season. You know, he was all over the place throughout the year, uh, even trying his hand at play-by-play for with the – The G League. Uh, You mentioned ESPN Radio's coverage. Just one point of clarification. That's the Heat Sixers game uh, tonight that's on ESPN Radio as well. So so good deal there. And, yeah, looking forward to uh, NBA and NHL playoffs. They'll be here before we know it. And let's close it out with the Frozen Four. Big event. Yeah. You know, it's great to see this kind of coverage. It seems like every year it gets ramped up that much further, Minnesota, uh, Boston university Quinnipiac in Michigan, the frozen four finalists of tonight. If you're, you're checking out the podcast, uh, the semifinals, John Buccigrass on the play-by-play Barry Melrose, um, up there in the booth as well. Then Westwood one has coverage. Also the championship game on Saturday. So, you know, we mentioned with, with, Mike Monaco, college hockey came up quite a bit. It's an exciting sport in and of itself. And I encourage folks, if you haven't checked out the Frozen Four, it's worth a watch.
1: All right, that'll do it for us. Episode 43 in the books Thanks to Mike Monaco, ESPN's play-by-player. And uh, hopefully you enjoyed that conversation. Don't forget, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast feed, and you get three for the price of one. They're all free. Tell me a story I don't know with George Offman. Legendary conversations with some legendary broadcasters. Uh, TJ Reeves brings Last Word on Sports Media on Wednesdays. And we've got the announcer schedules podcast with some great announcers. mcdonough is uh coming up later on this week in the feed and former sixer voice mark Zumov has a new venture he's going to tell you about that here on the announcer schedule podcast so make sure you check that out like rate review subscribe that is it for us for this week's edition episode 43 for phil i'm mike thanks to mike monaco of espn this has been the announcer schedules podcast here on last word on sports have a great weekend everybody